Uh, thanks, Tyler, Kelly, Danielle. How do you, got, how do you not get excited about uh, just what God's doing in our students' lives? Um, and pretty special to, to gather with the Big C Church in, in those types of environments uh, to see a broader uh, movement of God's grace in southern Wisconsin and Wisconsin. And then what uh, people do around the globe where we gather on Sundays in these local families uh, to hear from God and, uh, and gather as a multi-generational community. And so I'm excited. Uh, come a few weeks from now, we are going to invite the kindergartners, the fourth graders, to come. Uh, we're going to take advantage of moments throughout the text where Jesus is sitting and having a meal. And so we're going to capture a few of those, one in February, one in May, where we invite the uh, K to fourth graders to, to gather with us. And, and both at 9 and 1030 services, where our multi-generational church will worship and learn together when kids from kindergarten up will join in a very special service. And we'll look at meals Jesus ate, who he ate with, and, uh, and why it matters. And Bruce, one of the kids' ministry teachers, is actually going to be uh, sharing that Sunday. So I'm very excited about that. And uh, if you're anything like me, you need a refresher. I had a conversation this week with a guy that would consider himself more Eastern mysticism, Buddhism, and, and uh, had some faith background. And as we talked, I was just sharing about the idea that Luke was a historian. He was a doctor. He, he wasn't there for these actual events, but that he wrote his gospel, 60, 70 AD. And we get to reflect and study this ancient document, believing he was writing so that we would have certainty in who Jesus is. And some of those things that maybe I just take for granted, just to be reminded, we're studying a document that got a guy who walked with Paul not with the disciples, collected and gathered all this data so that we could read in and reflect on who Jesus is and the certainty we can find in him. And so where we were for the first few chapters, we looked at the entrance of the king. Jesus is like no one else. He's, he's like no one else. He had angelic prophecies declare his arrival, both him and then John, the forerunner, and then the miraculous birth, again, his and John's. Luke records, and then Luke records the one accounting of, of young Jesus, the 12-year-old in the temple, and, and these others are astonished at who he is, and he tells his mother and father, I am in my father's house. And then we see the conclusion of that entrance of the king where Tyler, I thought Tyler did a great job talking about baptism and genealogy and why Luke records it in, later in the book in chapter 4. Why does he do that in chapter 3? Why? Well, he's showing us how Jesus is the God-man. And then we shifted gears, we concluded with the temptations, and then now we're entering the teachings of the king. But Jesus overcomes temptation. He's foreshadowing what he will ultimately accomplish. Luke gives us that, that leading, Jesus conquers temptations. He kicks Satan's butt, and now we get to see his ministry. And so we looked at two weeks ago, salvation is here because Jesus is here. That the, the kingdom of God has arrived in the person of Christ. He's here and then the challenge, though, is that many miss him. Many miss this Messiah, and Luke gives us two situations where people missed him. He talks about Nazareth, where his hometown hero is missed because they don't like his message. They don't like that others are included in this gospel. The gospel is for everyone, and Jesus gives indication that even the Gentiles, those that are outside this covenant family, are going to get included in this gospel, too. Yes, it's for everyone. And then in Capernaum, Brian did a great job last week showing us it's, it's sometimes we miss Jesus because we look for his miracles over his message. We, we want the circumstances to be healed, 
more than maybe the person of Christ. And what I'm excited about this morning is now Luke gives us one more story. Many miss him, but some see him. Some actually find life in Jesus. And I'm excited. Uh, you could tell maybe I'm in a good mood this morning. Uh, that maybe, you know, some of you guys maybe are having a hard week. It was challenging. There was heavy snow a couple days ago, and then it snowed again. Or maybe some of you are like me that uh, didn't have a problem with the heavy snow. Instead, you got ice on your driveway, and it just kind of helped accelerate the entrance and the exit from your, <laughs> from your driveway. Uh, whatever might be bringing you in, whatever, whatever hurt maybe you've experienced this week, whatever joy maybe that is coming to mind, I'm excited for where Luke takes us with Jesus' first convert and first converts and where he's taking us in Luke because this is all he's been doing. He's teaching, he's doing miraculous work, and he's gathering his disciples, and we're just going to see that on repeat for weeks to come. He, he teaches, he teaches the gospel. He demonstrates his, his teaching with miraculous work. He doesn't just go on social gospel, miraculous healing tours. It's always with his teaching, and then he's calling people to follow him. And so let's read the text, Luke 5. We're in Luke 5, and, uh, and uh, here we go. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the lake of Galilee. This is for these readers. That's how they'd refer, the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into the one of boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. To which Simon just, you got to be kidding me, Jesus. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. Here's where we're headed this morning, and I'm going to try and maybe give a little fuller preview of where we're headed in addition to this big idea because I'd love to see if you guys see this in the text as we go through it. Luke demonstrates Jesus' power to catch people for his eternal kingdom, and he gives us a snapshot of the journey we all take if we are to authentically enjoy Jesus and his mission. He's going to give us a picture uh, of Jesus' power to catch people. <laughs> he does a miracle of this gathering of fish, but his purpose is to show that he is catching people for his kingdom, and he uses us in that process. He uses his people, his followers in that process, and we get to join him in authentically enjoying Jesus and this beautiful mission of catching men. And so this parable, I want you to see it. He does this miracle. Why? Could he have just told the fish, jump into the nets? <laughs> jump into the boat. Just jump in. Did he need Peter? He didn't. So why does he use Peter? 
He's inviting Peter into this journey of what it means to follow him. And he uses fish as the parable. He says, just in the same way that I miraculously brought fish into your nets, I'm going to call you to go share my gospel, and I am going to bring fish into the net. So let's see if you see it. Here's the flow. Peter heard the gospel. Peter is confronted with Jesus and experienced his inadequacy. And then Peter is invited to Jesus by Jesus with a promised new passion to which Peter happily follows Jesus and begins valuing him above anything else. So pray with me and, and we, will, we will jump in uh, to, to Luke 5. God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, your work in our life. Help, help us hear and see you through Luke's recording of, of this interaction with Peter. As you called him to follow you, so are you calling others. So whatever we have on our minds this morning that's challenging us, that's weighing us down, that, that maybe is distracting us, help us hear from you this morning and, and the way you would then have us live as we follow you in our Monday to Saturday. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So here's, here's where we start. Peter hears the gospel. Peter had interactions with Jesus before this moment. Here's where we're going to go back to last week. And, uh, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee. This is from last week, verse 31. Brian's section started with verse 31, ended with verse 44. Notice what the bookends are. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teachings for his word possessed authority. Who's in that crowd? I would argue Peter. Peter's in that crowd hearing Jesus proclaim the gospel. Peter's hearing this. And then, what, what does Jesus say he needs to go do? At the very end of that section, and when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for that purpose. And then Brian's section ends with, and he was preaching in the synagogues. So, so we see Jesus teaching. Peter, I believe, is in that space hearing these words. They're hearing about him, right? How do we know? Because he invites him to his house to heal his mother-in-law in that section. So Peter's hearing these things, and then Jesus continues on. And Luke, trusting that we're reading his gospel and following along, here's the very next thing he says. On one occasion. So while Jesus is teaching, here's one situation of what's taking place while Jesus is teaching. And the crowd pressed in on him to hear the word of God. And Jesus, not to miss a moment, not haphazardly, but directly calls Peter and says, hey, I need your boat, and we're going to go out, and I'm going to keep teaching. And so getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little bit from land, and Jesus sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, what's he teaching? The kingdom of God is here. Well, how do we know that? How do we know that's what he's teaching? Again, Luke thinks we are reading along with him in his gospel. So we just go back a couple, a couple pages here, and we see Jesus in chapter 4 tells us the gospel he's preaching. <laughs> he told us from Isaiah 61, he opened the scroll and said, here's what I've come to do. This has been fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives recovering sight to the blind and set liberty at those who are oppressed to claim to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Peter heard the gospel. 
He heard the kingdom of God is at hand, and, and it's for the poor, the spiritually poor. Now, who is that? Who's that message for? Everyone. That Jesus has come to bring spiritual riches to people's lives. That he's brought liberty to the captives. People that are in bondage of all things in their life. They're just gripping their soul, whatever that might be. Greed that just clings to our soul saying, if I had more money, then I'd be happy. If I wasn't so lonely, then I'd be happy. A relationship that maybe has gone sour. Envious of someone else and what they might have. And yet Jesus says, I've come to bring liberty to the captives. I've come to set you free and find life in my name. Sight to the blind. Who is blind before Christ brings them sight? Who's that for? Everyone. At Hillcrest, we just say we're some beggars that have found some bread and we want to share it with everyone. It's like an oasis where I've, I've been searching this desert and I've found some water. I can see I was blind and now I can see liberty to the oppressed. Peter heard the gospel. And then the journey continues in Peter's life. He gets confronted with Jesus. Peter is confronted with Jesus and then experiences his own inadequacy. We get to see now in the boat. But before then, where did Peter meet Jesus? Heals his mother-in-law. And so he arose and left the synagogue just a few verses earlier and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. Now, how would he have known? How would he have known to go to Jesus? Because he encountered Jesus in Capernaum and heard him teaching. Now, Jesus enters in in a little bit more social space and interacts with Peter, and he stood over Peter's mother-in-law and rebukes a fever, and it left her. And immediately, she arose and began to serve him, serve them. And then now we see Jesus engage Peter on the shore. Here's how Luke records it. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, Jesus asked him to put out a little bit from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, come on, what's he say? Let down your nets for a catch. Put out into the deep and let down your nets. And so they had just finished fishing, What's Peter's response? Forget this. Forget this. I don't know what you're doing, but Jesus, because you said so, we're going to do it. And then there's a miraculous response. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boats, come and help us. And they came and filled both boats with a ton of fish, so much so that they began to sink. So stop there. So so this could be a gospel that some people would preach. They would stop right there and they say, see, look what Jesus wants to do for your life. Look at how he provided for Peter. (laughs) Look at what he did. He filled his boats with so much fish. You know what Jesus wants for your life? He wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And they would stop right there and say, see, look what Jesus can do for you. If you accept Jesus, he's going to fill your boats with fish too. So much resources, so much wealth. And yet, what is Peter's response? When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
The gospel isn't this prosperity gospel where Jesus is some kind of magically make your health healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Instead, when you encounter Jesus, you're actually wrecked with your own inadequacy. You're actually floored with your inability to actually stand before a holy and righteous God. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, was Peter's response. The gospel came to bear on Peter's life in a real way. He was confronted by Jesus. Do we see the limitations that apart from Christ, I can earn nothing. I have nothing to offer. I don't have some great batting average that Jesus wants to select me for his softball team. Instead, depart from me is Peter's response from a sinful man. But Jesus doesn't leave him there. He says, I actually have a new mission for your life. Here's what he says. Peter's invited to Jesus by Jesus with a promised new passion. Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And as I was reading this week, this was the section that floored me the most. I was just struck by this and, and, and trying to work through it. Because what does Peter respond? Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your words I will let down the nets. Half-hearted, begrudgingly, but Jesus, because you said so, we're going to do it. And then there's an incredible haul of fish. Bigger than what they probably caught ever, long time. It's miraculous. There's no fish, and now there's fish. And Peter responds, depart from me. This, this, was, this was unreal. I don't know fully who you are. I mean, I'm just overwhelmed that, that this is happening. And then Jesus says, don't be afraid. He feels the fear that is welling up in Peter's heart because of the reality of what he understands. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. Instead, he says what? From now on, you will be catching men. From now on, you will be a catcher of men. And so the miracle of fish is pointing to this mission that he's deploying Peter on. That Jesus invites him with a promised new passion. What's the phrase? Let down your nets. Peter says, there's no fish. We're the expert fishermen, Jesus. You're a carpenter. There are no fish. Here's how that struck me this week. Now, I look around Dane County, look around our culture, and it just feels like there's pain. Just feels like there's this godless pagan society called Dane County. And I look around and I go, Jesus, there are no fish. There's no fish. Jesus, I don't know if you know this. I'm a professional pastor. I kind of know this gig. Jesus, there are no fish. To which he says, David, let down your nets. Because it's not about your strategic, innovative ideas. Instead, it's the transformative power of the gospel being preached. One life at a time. 
And so I want to pull back. This, this is, forgive some of the drawings. You guys bear with me. You understand I'm not an artist. So this is my best attempt. And, and we'll see where it goes. But we've seen this drawing before, right? That on one side of the cross, it's all relationship. It's all relationship. On one side of the cross, it's relationship towards Jesus. And on the other side of the cross, it's relationship to grow in Jesus. When we say people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time, life with Jesus isn't just conversion. That would be one side of it. But life with Jesus actually continues on. And so you may have seen this drawing before. I'm trying to overlay it. The gospel is, <laughs> depart from me, O Lord, I'm a sinful man. The only, the only, the only solution is Jesus to reconcile me to the Father, to have eternity with him. But we're trying to back up the train just one more step. When was the first time Peter met Jesus? In Capernaum, when he heard the gospel. And it sparked his curiosity. And there was trust being built. Then what happened? Jesus, through generous relationships, goes to meet a need of Peter's. Does Peter recognize his sinfulness in that moment? He does not. And now don't hear me say, I'm breaking fevers with my voice, right? But there's an action of building trust. And then, when we see Peter go, I'm a sinful man, I want to follow you, does it stop there? It doesn't stop at conversion. It actually is going to continue. We call it ongoing spiritual transformation, where the life with Jesus doesn't just stop when you pray a prayer. It actually is intended to go on to glory. Even then, I go, we are finite beings living into eternity. There is this forever of getting to know God. And so there's this movement taking place. And so, what does it mean? Let down your nets. What's that mean? Dane County, this is a godless pagan place. There's no fish. I've been trying. We toiled all night. There's no fish. Jesus says, it's not by your power that causes those fish to get in the net. And so here is, again, my best attempt to draw the layers of what it might mean to let down our nets, believing God's at work. And so there's this social and spiritual continuum of momentum that is moving towards the cross. So we're on this side of the cross. You feel that, right? There's this movement for those that follow Jesus as they let down their nets towards this side of the cross. We have this social and spiritual momentum. And fundamental to that process is actually believing God's doing the transformative work. <laughs> He's actually bringing the fish into the nets. <laughs> Not dependent on my ability and my fishing skills. <laughs> and so on one side, there's this public space we live in. It's probably where we go to work. It's, it's maybe the coffee shops we hang out at. It's the sports games we're at. There, there's this public space where we live our lives as followers of Christ. And then there's more social spaces where it becomes a little bit more close. Maybe we go bowling together. Maybe we do underwater basket weaving together. Maybe we play basketball together, and it's a little bit more close in friendship. 
even still, there's another layer where it moves towards these personal spaces. Maybe we sit around the dinner table together. Maybe we play euchre together. There's a little bit closer proximity where we're closer together. And then the movement continues towards communion with God, where the gospel is proclaimed and someone says, that's what my thirsty soul needs. I need Jesus in my life. And there's this progression from hearing the gospel in Capernaum to being at Peter's mother-in-law's house to sitting on the boat and seeing this miraculous catch and going, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And Peter, I think, comes to faith. And then we see his journey. Let down your nets. Who are those people that you think of that God strategically placed in your sphere? That he's actually put you in a place to which you go, God, I've been fishing all night. I've been working here for 20 stinking years. There's no fish. There's none. I know. I'm kind of a professional follower. There's none of them here, Jesus. To which Jesus says, let down your nets. And he's actually calling people. He's actually doing the transformative work. And he's using you. Could he have had the fish jump in the boat independent from Peter? He could have. And yet what does he do? Let down your nets. From now on, you will be catching men. So here's Peter's journey. He heard the gospel. He heard it preached. And then he's confronted and experiences his own inadequacy. And then Peter is invited to Jesus by Jesus with this promised new passion. And then I love this part where Luke includes Peter happily follows Jesus and values him above everything else. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything to follow him. They left everything. Man, those fishing nets, all the equipment, the lures, the boats, they just dropped it and left. Oh, it's everything. And sometimes when we read this story, I think we're seeing it through some of our personal lens where we're wondering, what do I have to give up to follow Jesus? And so we focus on all those things and we emphasize everything. They gave up everything. Ads, boat. But what I love, and I love that it's included, instead, they left everything and followed him. Do we understand the value of what's being offered in the gospel? Liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, my thirsty soul trying to fill it with so many things. And they looked at everything else and said, that is the guy we need. Now we're going to hear in a few weeks, Levi leaves everything to follow Jesus and they go back to his house for dinner. So obviously he didn't sell his house, right? They go back to his house. Sometimes we think, what am I giving up? Do I got to change careers? Do I leave my job? Do I got to move? Instead, it's this heart posture that says Jesus is far better. When we talk about resurrection power, 
Paul of Philippians says, I have resurrection power because now I count everything else as rubbish for the worth of knowing Christ. <laughs> everything else, garbage. And so I, I look at our lives and I wonder, we've taken a similar journey. <laughs> we've heard the gospel. We've heard the power of what it means to be transformed by sight to the blinds. And then have seen liberty, have heard the good news. And ideally confronted with our own sin. We've been confronted with Jesus and experienced our inadequacy. And we cried, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What, what do I bring to the table but the blood of Christ? Nothing. I, I, I'm a sinful man and I need you to reconcile me to the Father. And then we're invited to Jesus by Jesus with a promised new passion. Jesus says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Let down your nets. But Jesus, there are no fish. And yet we head to our Monday to Saturdays with a renewed conviction. It's Jesus who is calling people's lives and he uses us. And so we happily follow Jesus and value him above anything else as we continue to invite people to life in his name. It is. They left everything to follow him. And so this week, what would that look like? I want to make a call back to what we did as we started Luke to set your time, set your alarm to 104 as a reflection of this conviction that Luke 1.4 is about certainty in Christ. And we ask, God, what are you inviting me into today? And so I'm going to invite the worship team up as we keep going here. And that the possibility that he might be inviting you to let down your nets and tell many gospel stories. To actually enter in and believe that God is at work all around us and we let down our nets. I was in a conversation recently and a gentleman was telling me about his DIY project. And, uh, and you guys know that it's not my forte or gifting. Uh, but to which I replied, isn't it beautiful that God the creator has given us creativity to demonstrate in a variety of ways, one of which is woodworking, <laughs> uh, to which his eyes glazed over and we continued to talk about the bucks and uh, the packers instead. What is that? We're just listening and telling many gospel stories, believing that the call is not for us and our wisdom and our ingenuity and innovation, but rather God's transformative work that we get to tell the story. What is the gospel? It's that God designed us for good and how life was meant to be, our origin story, and yet shattered through the fall and sin that has fractured our society in so many places. The restoration is the cross. We get restored for better. It's God's remedy, and we long for him to make things whole. We long for the new creation. And so this week, what might it look like to pray, God, help me to listen closely to your teachings, your teachings, so they reshape and renew me to know your truth and whatever you might be inviting me into today. As we, uh, as we pray towards this end, that we might follow him and be catchers of men, Peter's words were, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. So I'm going to ask if our ushers would... Uh, uh, hand out our communion elements.
and, uh, and wanted to, to sit in this reality. <laughs> that Peter's words when he was confronted by Jesus weren't, man, I can't wait for the next haul of fish that you're going to provide for me. Instead, he was overwhelmed with his brokenness. So I want to read Matthew 26, where Jesus is describing the Lord's Supper that he is instituting. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. And then he says something incredibly meaningful. And Ricky, you don't mind getting me one of the elements as well? He says something incredibly meaningful. He says this, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. <laughs> that this practice that we do, is a reflection of our conviction of the reality that Jesus has reconciled us to the Father through the forgiveness of sins. And to whom is that available? Jesus tells us, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. It's available through Christ to be reconciled for the forgiveness of sins, to give sight to the blind and liberty to the captives, whatever we might be carrying. Christ wants to carry it. Whatever we bring in today, grace abounds as we continue to lean into him. And so, Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup And this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then I love what he adds. Because I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit again of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. As we celebrate communion, it is both a recognition of the forgiveness of sins and also a longing for a future new healed kingdom. And so... We drink this cup in remembrance of him. Pray with me as we continue to worship. And I want you to pray this with me. So maybe a little unorthodox, pray with your eyes open. <laughs> Just like Peter cries out, Oh Lord, I'm a sinful man. May this be our prayer, so pray this with me. Our Father in heaven, we confess that we have sinned against you in our thoughts, our words, and in our actions. We have not truly loved you with our whole being. Remind us in this moment of your Son and the mercy we have received, that we may find our joy in you and walk in accordance to what you have for us this day. Amen.